0: Hello everyone, welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. I am Robert Winfrey, I'm your host for this show. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. On the agenda this evening, should be fairly quick. Last night, UFC on ESPN plus 63 slash UFC on ESPN 33 slash UFC Columbus was hilarious looking at Twitter and seeing how many people couldn't spell Columbus, Ohio. Uh, yeah, guys, C-O-L-U-M, not C-O-L-O. C-O-L-O, C-O-L-O is how you spell Columbia, the South American country. Uh, Columbus is, Columbus, Ohio is not spelled that way. Uh, but, you know, expecting people to have a decent grasp of both spelling and geography seems to be a tall ask these days. At least on Twitter. I mean, let me Let me walk that back. At least on Twitter. It's a pretty tall ask. So we'll be reviewing that, uh, you know, highs and lows, I think the stuff that we expected to potentially be good, mostly delivered. So we'll go over that. And then, well, everybody's getting arrested. <laughs> um, yeah, my my three big news items for the week are just, yeah, Masvidal, McGregor, and a little Chael Sonnen, I guess. So yeah, that's what we're doing. All right. Uh, Before we get going, I want to thank you all again very much for your support of the show. Any like, comment, subscription, any sharing you can do, uh, star rating, written reviews, anything and everything that you all can do to help promote the show means the world to me. So thank you very much. Uh, Again, it means a lot. All right. Let's jump in then. Don't need to keep the preamble too lengthy. UFC on ESPN plus 63. Main event, Curtis Blades defeats Chris Daukus via TKO punches at 17 seconds of the second. I knew it was fast. I forgot exactly how fast. Uh, It's been floated before that Dawkins might want to consider a move to light heavyweight. And I think there's a degree of merit to that thought. I'm, I'm not calling for it necessarily, but... I mean, I mean, I don't know the guy, so I don't know his... He might have tried it before and it just doesn't work. You know, There's some guys who are just like that. That You you start cutting weight and they can just never really get down safely or it costs them too much or you know, what have you. Or he just doesn't want to, which is just as valid a reason. I'm just saying if he hasn't at least given it some pretty serious consideration, uh, I think he's doing himself a disservice. First round went to Blades. Um, Dawkus was having success. He has fast hands. Unfortunately, he doesn't seem to have... Didn't here, at least, have the power necessary to really kind of back Blades up. Uh, and Again, this was not a terribly engaging fight. Second round, uh, they both throw right hands at the same time. Blades lands a little bit better, and he's just a little bit off the center line. He still gets hit. I mean, they hit each other. But... Uh, Blades timed it pretty well. Needs to be mentioned, uh, Dawkus had kind of thrown out a jab. Not much intention of landing it, just kind of get a reaction, throw the right hand behind it. And Dawkus kind of, he followed it back with his right, and... Uh, sorry, Blades did. And Dawkus didn't quite bring it back all the way up to block his head. I don't know that it would have mattered that much given how their bodies had shifted, but it's a note. Uh, Dawkus goes down, Blades jumps on him. Uh, needed win for Blades. Uh, Not just in the sense that he got a win, but he... I've said this before about Blades, and on occasion when it's been true, I think he's been a bit unfairly maligned as just a wrestler. Uh, That said, it's clearly a skill set that he uses most of the time. This was the first time uh, in his entire UFC career that he did not attempt a single takedown in a fight. Did not attempt one in this fight, so... Uh, he said he wanted a fight with Gon after this. Um, might have been trying to set up... The UFC like, might have try, been trying to set up him and Steep Miochich. I think either of those are perfectly acceptable fights. Him and Gon is... I think it's a big, interesting fight for both men. We haven't seen Gon have to deal with a legitimate wrestler. Uh, and, and Gon, who had some success against him, but I think... One, Nganu's success was not quite as, uh, it wasn't quite as dominant as I expected it would be if he was able to get takedowns, uh, and, I, and also for the record, if you'll recall, I scored that fight for Gone between Gon and Nganu. but it will be a big test of his wrestling if he's willing and able to shore up uh, some of those holes that Nganu was able to exploit, It's a pretty big fight for Blades. Uh, He's not had the best time when he's had to deal with longer guys who are good about maintaining and measuring distance. Uh, For the most part, he's overcome them, and you need to be kind of a big power puncher to really get him out of there. But it would be be a big test for both guys in the sense that it would ask questions that both of them would uh, need to answer going forward. So... Uh, That said, again, if they do Stipe, I'm not going to complain about it. Uh, There's still a big question mark over the top of the heavyweight division. I mean, you've got Tui Vasa, who just kind of exploded on the scene. You've got Tom Aspinall rising. You've got Gon still near the top. Stipe, we don't quite know. He's been out of action for over a year. He was present at the card last night, but uh, in the crowd. He didn't fight or anything. So, he's still something of a question mark. We don't know what's up with John Jones. At this point, I wouldn't make any plans around him personally, but it needs to be acknowledged. And there's still the giant question mark surrounding Francis and Ganu's future. So, uh, we really don't know much of anything at the moment. There's a lot of ways this could shake out, there's a lot of permutations, uh, most of which could be very legitimate. If they did, you know, Blades and Gone for another interim title. Now that Stipe, or now that uh, and Ghanu's recovering from his knee surgery, is anyone really going to complain about that? I mean, the interim title that in, that Gon won, you know, last year was a, that was not a it was a little bit BS. You know, there was not a whole lot of call for that. This time around, between the injury and the contract uncertainty, I. I think this is when you should have an interim title. But, you know, the UFC loves to devalue its titles. But there's also a real argument about whether or not they actually are devaluing them, since, I mean, they are, but no one really cares about stuff that's not the UFC anyway. I mean, I talk about some of the other stuff on occasion. In fact, I'll talk a little bit about the the One event. His One Championship had their One X, their 10th anniversary card over some of the highlights that I saw because uh, I didn't watch the whole thing I mean I have other stuff to do with my time <laughs> and, and so on but there were a few fights that I did make sure to look up a few finishes so I'll go over that a- very briefly but you know, most people if you're listening to this show you're pretty much a hard you're some value of a hardcore MMA fan and there are still people who don't refer to it as MMA They, there are still people who refer to this as ultimate fighting if you want an example of still just how uh, kind of monolithic the UFC is as an entity in the in the MMA space, so the question just kind of ultimately becomes: You know, are they really devaluing their titles when the ceiling, the floor on how valuable a UFC belt is, is clearly quite high? Like the you can argue where the ceiling is, I think. That might not be as high for the most part as people think it is, but if you want to tell, you know, how... What's the least valuable UFC title? I mean, you can argue certain champions are in rougher spots, but if we're talking about what's the least valuable title, probably women's featherweight, because there's no division. But even that, you know, is there much argument that whoever holds you could argue this point if you're a hardcore fan, but as a general rule, if you were the interim UFC women's featherweight champion, anyone who knows what's going on there is going to laugh at that. But as a general rule, one, they're going to get paid like a full champion. And two, is it really that outside the realm of possibility that they're probably the second best women's featherweight fighter in the world? That's that, that's kind of the point. So, I don't know. But this would be a time when an interim title is... Uh, Would be warranted, in my opinion. So, I don't know exactly what's coming up next for that, but... Dawkus versus... uh, Not Dawkus, sorry. Blades versus Gone or Blades versus Miocic are two very, very realistic fights to make. Uh, Heavyweight seems to finally be getting a little bit of turnover in some respects. It's a shame we've got the logjam that we do, but... Between the UFC's decision-making and, you know, the unfortunate injury to Francis, what else are you going to do? Sometimes these things just happen. And you can look back at, you know, behaviors and decisions and whatnot and point to what kind of made them. But this is not really... This is not anything all that far outside uh, the history of combat sports. So, as for Dawkus, I don't know a step back in competition at a bare minimum you know guys should be fighting probably fighting guys somewhere between like ten and fifteen or potentially even un i don't think you need to drop him all the way back to unranked, but certainly lower top fifteen um, and as mentioned before, a serious contemplation about a at least a fight at light heavyweight. I don't don't know how well that'll go. I don't know if he can even realistically make that as part of a weight cut, but he should seriously consider it. Maybe he still stays at heavyweight, but that should be something he considers. That was your main event. Uh, Not bad for as long as it lasted. All right, co-main event. Alexa Grosso defeats Joanne Wood via submission. Rear naked choke. This is the first submission win on Alexa Grosso's resume, uh, 357 of the first. They were going at it a little bit. Uh, somewhat predictably, anything that took place in pure boxing range seemed to favor Grosso just a hair. When they all the way tied up, uh, Joanne Woods got some really good knees in the clinch. She's willing to throw elbows. We'll talk about elbows more in our next fight. (laughs) Because, ooh, doggy. But, uh, Joanne tried a spinning attack, got taken down off of it. Grosso jumped on her back, got the choke. Um, yeah, I've kind of I was watching Grosso when she was on the come up in Invicta, so I've been watching her for a bit, and she's good. Um, I she might get the next title shot off of this. Now that might seem a little bit crazy if we consider the rankings. Now. Let me go over these real fast, because these have not been updated after last night's event, but it can still be somewhat informative, and I can make reasonable guesses. Um, Grosso was 9 coming into this. Wood was 7. This is probably going to also factor in Jennifer Maia, who was ranked 4th, lost to Manon Fior, who was 13. So... A little bit of guesswork tells me Grosso is probably going to jump up to near top five. Uh, and Fjord is going to skyrocket. Um, so, yeah, we're we're going to get a little bit of turnover there, thankfully. Um, now, uh, I have to talk a little bit about Fjord because he was the other feather uh, flyweight that fought on this card. She called out Caitlyn Chukagian, which is a reasonable call-out. Um, we haven't seen the full breadth of what Fior has to offer, so another fight is a bit more warranted. Grosso's a bit more of a finished product, which is not to say she's you know, stuck in the mud or anything, but she's been at this at this point long enough that I, I'm not sure how much more development of her skills is going to come along if we push off... Uh, you know, uh, uh, bigger fights. And there's a time when even fighters who look like, you know, uh, like they've got the rocket strapped to their back and whatnot, it still can be valuable if they're young enough and de- and still in the developmental process to slow roll them. And I think Fior might be a little bit more in that camp, whereas at this point, uh, Grasso, uh, not quite as much. Uh, I, I mean, if we look at the top of women's flyweight, you've got you know, the Destroyer of Worlds up there, Valentina Shevchenko. Well, the Destroyer of Flyweight, at least. And if you look at the top contenders, her next title challenger is Tyla Santos, which I favor Shevchenko pretty handily there because I favor her over everyone in that division. But I think people are going to sleep on Santos a little bit too much. If you look at everyone above her, number one is Jessica Andrade Shevchenko, stopped her. Two is chukagi and stopped her. Three is Lauren Murphy, stopped her. Four is Jennifer Maya, beat her. Five is Santos, then Viviani Arujo, Joanne Wood, Andrea Lee, then Grosso. So, but those top four, Shevchenko is beaten decisively. I mean, even the Maya fight that went the distance, that was not a close fight. Everyone, I've said this before, everyone lost their minds because Maya got a takedown and held top position for a round. And then lost the other four rounds. Like, That's... <laughs> So, you win one round like it's not nothing but that doesn't make it a close fight. So if if Grosso jumps up enough and it it wouldn't be out of line to drop Murphy down. So Santos might wind up at like 3. um bump Grosso to you do like you like bump Grosso to 4. Fiora five—it's a bit much, but yeah. You know, I'm trying to guess how the rankings are going to go, and we all know the rankings are weird. Trying to understand them—understand them—is a that—that's a borderline Lovecraftian nightmare. But Grosso could be—it's not unreasonable to think that she might get the shot after Santos, assuming Shevchenko retains. And that's the assumption I'm going to operate under with the caveat, of course, that, you know, craziness happens. Uh, you can only win for so long before sometime you have something wrong and have one bad night and the other guy girl has the fight of their life. And It happens. But I don't think it's unfair to kind of uh, at this point predict another Shevchenko win. Uh, without being... I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Tyler Santos, of course. Uh, so, Grosso might... Might get a title shot off of this. Might have to fight one more time any anyway, depending on how the timing pans out, but she also could be next. That division is rapidly... There's a few people who are coming up now. You've got Fiori. You've got the aforementioned Viviani Arujo. You've got Grosso. You've got some people who are making some headway. But... That's a division that desperately needs a bit of turnover and you know, Shevchenko has just walloped so much of that division. Uh I don't know what's next for Wood. You know, she's she's been up and down but she's never quite seemed to I mean, This is 3 in a row. I mean, I thought she won the Murphy fight back this this was June of 2021 at UFC 263. I scored that fight for her. I thought she got screwed by the judges. Then Santos and Grosso both tapped her out in the first round. That's a bit more troubling. Um, I also thought she lost the Andrea Lee fight at 242. Uh, I don't know if she wants to just kind of keep hanging on. Um, but... She needs to... Figure some things out. Uh this yeah, you know, three in a row is never a good spot. It's worse when you're starting to lose faster. You know, uh Santos beat her at four forty nine of one, Grosso now three fifty seven. If we go back a little bit, Jennifer Maya when Maya beat her was four twenty nine of one. You know, there's there's some things she's gotta sort out. Assuming she can. I mean I'm not try I am not calling for her to retire, but she is thirty five. Uh, and she's been fighting, I mean, her kickboxing career started in, like, 05-ish? I want to say 05. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that for the moment. Um, some of these are not properly reported or whatnot, so early 2000s, let's go with that. And her MMA career started in 2012. So, she's been at this for closer to 20 years than not. That that gets you down, man. That again, the, that bill always comes due. So, I don't know. I imagine she'll keep trying, but I think the end of the road is closer to for her than you might think. Uh, let's see, next up, oh, this fight. Brian Barberena defeats Matt, v- Matt Brown via split decision, 29-28s. So two for Barbarina, one for Brown. Um, great fight. This was everything you thought it would be. When you put these two, just hard-nosed, hard-scrabble, knees and elbows, all action guys in front of each other. This was great. Uh, Brown takes the first round, some smart takedowns, some good top control, both men landing punches. Second round, second round was kind of the swing round, I think. Um, Barbarina comes up a bit more on top. He's able to land the more damaging blows, not quite taken down as much. Uh, third round, back and forth, both men landing punches and elbows and knees and kicks and everything else. Both men get hurt. Uh, Barbarina closes stronger. Though. He closes with this really big flurry um enough to get the split decision crowd booed Uh brown matt brown's the hometown boy he's from columbus ohio uh it i know they're not going to do this but i'm going to echo a sentiment that i saw i really wish if you want to boo the decision fine but when the fighter starts talking give them a chance to say their piece it's they have no say over the judging all right. And I, I agreed with the judging in this case, but even if you didn't, that's not on the fighters. Don't be jerks. Now, if they start antagonizing or saying stupid stuff, fine, boo them. Like that's, but you you really should give the fighters a chance to to know that, especially in a close fight like this, that's an all-action kind of three-round war. There's no reason to boo that guy. Uh, none whatsoever. If you didn't see this fight, look it up. This was great. This was a great fight. Uh, some really, really nice foot sweeps from Brown that he was hitting in the first and second round. Wish more people would use those. They're they're really valuable tools. Uh, uh, Teddy Atlas on Twitter compared this to Gotti Ward, but just with elbows and knees and whatnot. Not quite sure I'd go that far personally, uh, but the sentiment of what he's expressing there is, uh, I do agree with. Again, this was a great fight. Uh, Look it up. Absolutely worth your time to watch. Uh, This was apparently the last fight on Brian Barbarina's contract, and he said... I think Brown was kind of near the end of his contract, too. Before I go ahead and a little bit further, just to Matt Brown, 41 years old, been doing this forever. I mean, when I say forever, he started his professional debut was in 2005. Uh, he's been with the UFC since 2008. You know, he's part of uh, the seventh season of The Ultimate Fighter, when that show still arguably had a degree of credibility. Uh, I mean, he's been up and down since then. He had a nice long run at one point with some really good finishes in it. I mean, him from 2012 to 2014, that was a stretch of magic. I mean, just wonderful stuff. It's not like he's had bad fights since. If you didn't see his fight with Donald Cerrone from UFC 206, that's a really good fight. Uh, his brutal knockout of Diego Sanchez, of course. I mean, there's there's a lot. Uh, but this guy's been through the wood chipper, man. Uh, and I give him all the credit in the world for still going out there and still being this much of not only a good fighter in a technical sense, but this this uh, competitive like the, the the fight still exists in him you know the dog is still there and that not a lot of people have that at 41 that that's one of those things that does fade and he's still got it so you know god bless him man now but again barbarina mentions the last fight on this contract and if the ufc doesn't resign him he's not going to try and fight somewhere else he's just going to happily retire uh Appreciate I uh, appreciate his honesty. Um, I don't I imagine the UFC will, after this fight, try to get him another deal, but they've done weirder stuff in the past, so who knows. Uh, this was your fight of the night. Uh, deservedly so. Great fight. Another great fight. Um Kai Car de France defeated Oscar Oscarov via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Did not agree with this one. Um, first round, Askarov. Karlof Franz is trying uh, you know, with the striking, but he's not quite getting a whole lot of it. Gets taken down, gets his back taken. Second round, Askarov can't really get the takedown, and Carlo uh, Franz lands some good punches. Seems to wobble him at one point, uh, so one apiece going into the third. Third round's a little bit dicier. Um, they kind of trade for a bit. Askarov gets a clinch against the fence and jumps to the back. I mean, he had this re- use the fence, but which, I mean, he kind of got around towards the back in the clinch. Uh, put one leg in as a hook, put the other on the fence, and then use that to kind of push him and Cara France away from the cage so he could get room for the hook, and it's a really nice trick. Uh, and perfectly legal. You can't grab the fence, but you can push off of it, so using it in that respect. Uh, Jacare Sosa used to do something similar to that. When he wanted to get someone's back from that kind of position, he'd push off the fence. That was one of his legs. A really neat trick. So he gets the back. Can't find a legitimate kind of choke attempt or whatnot. France defends, is able to get him off and spends the rest of the round pushing forward. They both land some more punches. France is definitely the better striker. Uh, Askarov is... You know, he's not out of it, but you could see where the skill discrepancies were in both guys. So, ultimately, I thought Askarov should have won the third, but it's also one of those things that I'm not up in arms over. The third round was more than competitive enough to go either way. It's a bit of a shame that... Here's the only thing I'm going to say about this. I understand... Uh... That there was a time when positions were rated too heavily in MMA scoring. I think we might have gone too far. I think the, the pendulum might have overcorrected at this point. It seems like a lot of judges don't score backtakes anymore. Which I mean legitimate backtakes. Um, which is kind of a shame. I mean, certain takedowns and whatnot maybe shouldn't be warranted as highly as they used to be. I get that. I've advocated for that. But taking the back is kind of the ultimate position. It is the best position from which to operate if we're talking about a a fight. If I'm behind you, there's not a lot you can do to me. Uh, So I, I do think that's a position that needs to be scored a bit more effectively than it is, but... Somewhat in the same vein, France's defense from that spot was good enough to severely limit Askarov's ability to either threaten with submissions or inflict a lot of damage. And that does does also need to be noted. I think if in that third round in particular, if Askarov had been able to mount some kind of sustained attack from there, it might have swung things in his favor. But uh, I'm not... I think 29-28 for either man is a perfectly acceptable scorecard. I might disagree, but I don't think it's outrageous. Um, Carol Franz said he wants the next title shot. Uh, Davison Figueiredo, or his manager, I don't know who, but someone at least posting on his behalf on social media said that he wants to fight Carol Franz next and kind of told Brandon Moreno to get back in line. I don't know if that's a negotiation tactic related to the potential fourth fight between Figueiredo and Moreno. Uh, or what, but... That's at least floating out there in the ether. I tend to think we're going to get the fourth fight between Moreno and Figueiredo. We've never had... In the UFC, we have never had four fights between two guys. So... And this seems like as good a time as any to... Uh... <laughs> break that particular milestone, I guess. I mean, they are 1-1-1 one, one, one after three fights, so... Uh, and I think the timing might more favor that. I don't know who's dealing with what behind the scenes, but given when Figueiredo and Moreno fought relative to when this fight took place and you know, how things might line up in the future, I tend to think we're probably going to get Moreno and Figueiredo and then Cara Front will either be on standby or just get the next shot after that, so... Uh, sucks for Askarov, um, but hopefully he can take some of the lessons from this and maybe get a uh, focus a little bit more on finding uh, effective strikes in ways that he hadn't before, or prioritize when it comes to some of his grappling, which is still exceptional. That guy is a that guy's a monster when it comes to the wrestling, but he's got to start finding ways to prioritize. Uh, finding damage or threatening at this level instead of kind of the control that he's used to, because... And this happens with guys when they reach a certain level. At a lower level, you're able to capitalize on scrambles or other guys get frustrated with your control and they leave openings that just don't happen at higher levels. So... I still think very highly of Askarov, and I I hope he rebounds from this. Uh... See next up, welterweight Neil Magny defeated Max Griffin via split decision again 29-28. Um, good first round for Griffin. He sat Magny down at one point. Beautiful right as He was stepping back and he dropped Magny. Magny rebounded. Um, I I think again 29-28 is defensible for either man. You've got this comes down to round two. Um, because round one clearly Griffin. He hurt Magny and then dropped him. Round three was all Magny with his clinch work, his wrestlings, uh, that kind of stuff. Round two is kind of the swing round here. And I think I I'm pretty sure I scored it for Magny. So I I can see the argument for Griffin, but uh, Magny, more or less your deserving winner here. Neil Magny just keeps chugging along. I tend to think this is about where he stays. I think at this point we've seen basically the best of him. He's talented, and if you're not really good, he will chew you up. At the same time, whenever he's stepped up to someone who's really good, those haven't usually been the closest fights. Um, I mean, he's on a good run right now. Yeah, He's 5-1 and one in his last six, but Michael Chiesa beat him pretty thoroughly over five rounds. Before that, Ponzinibbio stopped him. Before that, Rafael dos Anjos beat him. Before that, Lorenz Larkin chewed him up. Like, uh, at any The point being, at any time when he's really been the guy to step up instead of the person being stepped up against, uh, it tends to be a bit of a struggle. I mean, he's got some good wins. I certainly don't mean to pretend otherwise. Uh, I thought he looked really good when he beat Calvin Gastelum back in 2015. This win over Robbie Lawler was impressive. Uh, so I'm, I'm not saying that he's only good as some guy who beats scrubs. like I said, you've got to be good. And he's beaten Lee Jing who was on a pretty good run. he's beaten Anthony Rocco Martin, who was on a good run. I mean, again, if you are not either ready to take that step up to the very to the very top or already there, he will make your life miserable. I also, again, I kind of think we've found his ceiling. Uh, and kicking off the main card, Mark Jackezi defeated Vyacheslav Borshev via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Jackezi um, just out-wrestled Borshev for all three rounds. Not a whole lot to it. Uh, prelim, Sarah McMahon defeated Carol Hosa via unanimous decision, 29-28. McMahon won the first two rounds with wrestling because she's a very, very good wrestler. Third round, she got she got a takedown. They uh, fought back up, and Hosa hit a really nice kind of an overhook hip throw, and got on top. And McMahon off of her back. She's not the most urgent about getting up. I don't know if this is a physical thing or a mental thing. She's also not great with her guards. Uh, It's not that hard to posture up on her. Uh, She gave away the third round. Not enough for a 10-8, not even close to enough for a 10-8, I certainly don't mean to imply otherwise, but she kind of was just willing to throw that one away. You know, I won the first two rounds, I'm not worried about being finished at the moment, so sure, I'll ice it, which, that's not going to endear you to a lot of people, but I very rarely, I very rarely blame fighters for that, assuming they're not, again, one, just completely avoiding the fight, and this, this is kind of the caveat for me. If your plan is to win the first two rounds and then spend the third just assiduously avoiding anything, that rubs me the wrong way. If you've won the first two rounds and in the course of the third round you find yourself in a disadvantageous position, but one where you can game the clock a little bit, you know, still lose the round but limit damage, limit anything like that, and just, alright, fine, I'm not going to take any stupid risks that might get me finished, but you've still been pursuing the fight, I understand that, and under those circumstances, I'm just more forgiving of it. Uh, McMahon needed the win in a pretty big way. Uh, non-trivial setback for Hosa. Um, she'll have to she'll have to redo and kind of retool some things. Uh, some of what she ran up against here was just maybe the best pure wrestler in women's MMA, certainly in, in uh, the UFC. Yeah, McMahon's an Olympic silver medalist. Like that woman can wrestle. Uh, let's see weight. Chris Gutierrez defeated Dana Batgari via TKO, spinning back fist and then punches and elbows. Um, 2.34 of the second. This was a good fight. Um, Gutierrez was throwing the calf kicks early. I think the big thing that hurt uh, Dana here, he was headhunting way too much. He did a pretty decent job of backing Gutierrez to the fence. But when he got there, instead of hitting the body or kicking the trailing leg or whatnot, he was going for the head. And that just seemed like a tactical error. His footwork also fell down a little bit as the fight wore on, and he started following a bit more than cutting off. And that's kind of what Gutierrez used. Um, I mean, in the first round, near the end of it, Gutierrez tries a spinning attack, gets taken down, and kind of pounded on for the last 20-ish seconds. Uh, Second round, we see that same spin. This time it works. He kind of baits Dana into coming a bit too close, spinning back fist, drops him, jumps on top. Solid win from Gutierrez. I'm still a believer in Dana. He's a really good fighter, but some tactical, uh, real time decision making issues here that I hope he sorts out because, like I said, he's really good. This was a good fight. Uh, middleweight, uh, Aliyashhab Kirzev. Kirzriev, excuse me. Yeah, Alice cobb defeated Dennis Tolulin via technical submission rear naked choke 158 of the second. Um credit to Tolulin here a little bit. Um he took this fight on relatively short notice. Uh, I think about a month. And he came to fight. You know, he he was the biggest underdog on the card. I think uh, uh I think Hizriyev was like plus t- or minus 1250, like huge. Biggest favorite on the card was Kizriev. Uh, and he came to fight. Uh, both men landed some body kicks. Uh, just the wrestling wound up being a bit too much. Uh, nice back take from Kizriev. You know, got the choke. Uh, I I have a hard time kind of really judging someone off of this, especially because Kizriev said he's gonna try to cut down to middle or to welterweight rather. Given his frame, I think that's possible. Um, he was really thick through the torso here. Now, it might still be a bridge too far for him, weight-cut-wise. I do need to point that out. But I don't think he's wrong to consider it. And even if he comes back up to middleweight, he's a... His wrestling is something. So he's... uh, uh good, Again, good performance from him. Women's flyweight, Menon Fjord, defeated Jennifer Maia, via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Uh, Maya, credit to Fiore who showed off a chin here. She got hit with like twice with head kicks from Maya and just ate them. I mean, she clearly didn't enjoy the experience of getting kicked in the head, but it didn't really, it didn't really deter her the way that you might think. Uh, she backed off and kind of regained herself, but regained herself fairly quickly and got back on offense. Um, Fiore's strong in the clinch. She's a big flyweight. There's still a little bit of a question about some of her grappling, uh, but someone who's uh, still developing like she is, that's understandable. Uh, and her striking is—it's pretty powerful, but I think she still leans a little bit too heavy into some of the gimmickry. Um, she does a lot of lead leg kicks as she fights southpaw, a lot of side kicks to the leg and body, which are good tools. But uh, commentary even brought this up, like. It's a good tool for measuring or for keeping distance, but unless you time a sidekick to the body really well, you're you're unlikely to hurt someone with them. Now, this is not true of the average person, right? If and I know this because I have both sidekicked people and been kicked, um <laughs> uh, and obviously i'm not a professional fighter so i'm not physically hardened and used to it kind of the way they are which is one of the big determining factors again if i were to kick the average person really hard with a sidekick doesn't feel good and i'm not saying these felt great for jennifer maya but absent really good timing and placement they're probably not going to end a fight Uh, they do score they're not Again, they're not pleasant but if you're looking for something that'll end a fight, you've got to time those really well. Uh, now that can still be done, but I I think there's just some of her weapons that need to be refined a little bit more. Um, She's throwing hook kicks kind of occasionally in this fight, and getting hit with a hook kick is not a fun experience either. At the same time, if you're if you're going to start prioritizing finishes and you know damaging people when you get two people when you get towards the higher end of the mixed martial arts spectrum a lead leg hook kick is probably not going to do a tremendous amount of damage if you can spin with it you get a lot more velocity if you're just lifting up the lead leg and throwing it uh, again it's not great and you know, could someone who's good at that, you know, Fjord's pretty good at them. I mean, Stephen Thompson immediately springs to mind as someone who's very, very dexterous with his lead leg. You know, if, could Stephen Thompson potentially knock me out with a lead leg hook kick? Yeah, probably. Is he going to knock out anyone he's fighting in the UFC with one of those? No. You, you do them to score points, keep your opponent off balance, and they have value. But they're not usually a finishing technique at this level. Again, at this level. You get enough of a skill disparity, and you can finish just about anything. So I I think she, I would be curious to see her try and maybe refine and potentially prioritize more, more finishing, more higher percentage finish weapons. You know, she's good about scoring. She's good about landing punches. She's good about angling. Physically strong. There's a lot that is very, very good, and there's a lot of reason to be very high on her potential. But I I do tend to think I'd like to see a few more of the traditional weapons developed and used a bit more. Just as an observation. Uh, she, I mentioned this before. She called out Caitlin Chukagian. I'd be fine with that. Uh, and, let's see, Flyweight. Uh, Matthews Sneakolow defeated David Dvorak via unanimous decision, 29-28. Um, not a bad fight. This one took a bit to get going, but once it got there, the third round of this was really good. First round, not so much. Uh, both men, still uh, very good fighters. Flyweight has a lot of talent. The UFC tends to bury a lot of their fighters on, in this kind of position, but there's, there's some talent there. Um, I'm curious to see how Dvorak rebounds from this setback. Uh, dude's tough as nails. He got hit hard and dropped and just got up and kept on chugging, man. Uh, Nikolaus, he's been really good since coming back to the UFC. Uh, I think he's undefeated at flyweight. We'll check that real fast. Um, no, let's see. No, sorry. Um... No, his only losses are at flyweight. He has won from outside the UFC. Dustin Ortiz stopped him in the UFC. He took a... Her... Uh, that got him bounced from the promotion, actually. He did a couple of bantamweight fights before coming back to the UFC at flyweight. Yeah, he's 3-0 since returning to the UFC. Um, he was ranked before this. What was he ranked coming into this? Uh... Yeah, he was number seven coming into this. So he's gonna take a bump. Uh, Kai Kara France is gonna bump up. Oskarov's gonna drop down. Um, might be time Nikolaou and Oskarov wouldn't be the worst thing. I mean you've got other guys in that same spot who you know, who need fights. You've got Alexandre Pantoja, you got Brandon Royval, you've got Alex Perez. Like you've got talented fighters up there. So him against any of those guys. He said he wants someone in the top five next. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Uh, 100% agree with that. And kicking everything off, Luis Saldana defeated Bruno Souza via unanimous decision, 29-28. Not sure I completely agreed with that, but I wasn't going to get up in arms over it. Um, (laughs) I saw Jack Slack say this on Twitter, so I'm going (laughs) to... It amused me so much. I'm going to have, I'm going to repeat it here. Um, Soza, one of his, tra- uh, Leonardo Machida is one of his trainers. Uh, he was in his corner actually. Uh, Slack said something to the effect of, "It's amusing that the Machida brothers have produced a bunch of fighters who stand like them and who move like them, but who only throw looping punches instead of straight punches." <laughs> and I, once I saw that, I once I saw it in that context i can't unsee it it's true you know machida very rarely through looping punches is a very straight hitter uh soza by contrast pretty loopy uh, and it, it doesn't quite blend with the karate stance the way that part of that stance and part of what makes it effective is the ability to kind of spring close and then fire a, a very straight punch when you start looping it you're kind of you're kind of half pregnant. You're not getting the same kind of power that you would if you were in a different stance that might benefit that kind of punch. So you're kind of you're kind of doing two opposing things, and neither of them to their greatest effect. Uh, Saldana got a little bit tired down the stretch; that was pretty obvious. Uh, but ultimately, he was a bit—he just landed a bit more. You know, he just got outworked, uh, got outstruck in rounds one and three in particular. I think Solsky took the second. Um, not a great fight, but not terrible. I don't think anything from this card is going on my worst of list. So your bonuses already mentioned. Fight of the night was Barbarina and Brown. Well-deserved. Kind of sucks for France and Askarov because when that fight got cooking, that was a really good fight, too. Uh, performances, Curtis Blades and Chris Gutierrez. No issues with that. I mean, you, you only had a couple of finishes on this card. A lot of decisions. Um, so yeah, again, I'm not, I'm not going to complain about the performance bonuses or whatnot here, other than to say that I think everyone who finishes should get a fat bonus. If you wanted to, if you wanted to alleviate some of the complaints about fighter pay, if you bump everyone's base pay by 50 to 60%, this might be a little bit different at the top end. Like anyone, you already pay flat. They're all still underpaid, but I'm talking about like if we're talking about you know the people who populate these kinds of cards. If you give them all a 50 to 60% pay increase, remove the show and win component. Maybe we're going to like a 75. I'm just trying to think about how like you could do this because doubling everyone, like removing the show and win setup. And then just straight doubling everyone's base. I'm the UFC makes a giant batch of money. Like, like I'm not suggest. What I'm not. What I'm suggesting with that is certainly something they could afford to do. Purely looking at the numbers. I think where it struggles just a hair is how they have to explain it to the people who own them and whatnot. So I'm find something a little bit more reason, a little bit more feasible rather than something that is purely possible if you bump everyone's pay 60 to 75 percent and remove the show and win component from it but you throw in the caveat that everyone who gets a finish gets a bonus of x um i don't know 30 call it 30 grand hypothetically Uh, and then you can still you can you can still do the perf- the fight of the night and the performances. Your performance of the night bonus, you could do 50 instead of 30, or on top of it. As I, I mean, ideally, since I'm here partially advocating for fighters, I'd say on top. But again, the UFC is very, very stingy, so they might not go for that. But something like that, I think. I don't know if they'll do it in any time in the near future, but. And let me be clear about something else around this. That's not going to solve the fighter pay problem. The fighter pay problem is so entrenched at this point that... I'm, I'm just trying to come up with a situation that might be a bit more stable for fighters. And I again, I think... You, for some of those guys on smaller contracts, you could straight double. Anybody coming in on like 12 and 12, just pay them 24 grand a fight and say you get another 30k if you finish Uh, that would incentivize i tend to think that would incentivize the kind of action the ufc is trying to go for uh with with the entire structure of how they've structured their business i tend to think that would be a little bit that might be a bit more effective in terms of the end goal and it would certainly get fighters paid more money so i'm All for that anyway that's enough about me uh that's enough of my hypothetical spewing about how the ufc might be able to change their pay structure they're not going to until they're forced to i mean that that's that's reality ufc will not change their their pay structure until forced to by a preponderance of fighters or some kind of legal action be that legislative or judicial there's Again, there's not really another way around that. They've demonstrated that time and time again. All right. Uh, I mentioned I'd talk about 1X real fast, so let me bring up the ones I wanted to talk about. Uh, 1X. Okay. What did I see from this? Um, Siohi Hom and Denise Zambonga. Zambonga. Uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that. Pretty I mean, Siohiham Hum is always good for a fun fight. Uh let's see. The knockout. Um I'm gonna butcher this gentleman's name and I apologize. I'm just gonna call him Nong O. He's a he's a Thai fighter. And some of their last names I just until I hear it pronounced, I have no idea. I I don't wish to try and butcher it. Um this was the one Muay Thai. So uh, one, their MMA stuff is meh for the most part, but they have real, they have like some of the best, uh, especially like lighter weight kickboxers and Muay Thai fighters in the world that will compete for them. It's really impressive. Uh, Nongo scored this beautiful uppercut over Felipe Lobo. Uh, brutal thing. Even if all you want to do is look up the finish, look up the finish. It was good. Uh, let's see. Did not have anything to say about that one. A uh, couple of things from the grand finale, I suppose. They had this split up into three different parts. Um, Superbon defeated Marat Gregorian. This was kickboxing. Superbond's on a... He's on a pretty good run. Uh, see the one I'm thinking of? Uh, because Foyang and Par, that was, that was something. I think it's Superbot. I'm thinking of. Uh, let me just... Yeah, if you look at just his last three fights in particular, uh, all of these have come under the one banner. But he beat Siddichai, uh who I think was also on this card. Let's go with Sitachai. I'm not going to try to pronounce that guy's last name. I don't wish to insult him. He beat Giorgio Petrosian, and now he beat uh, Gregorian here. And uh, I forget who should be next for him. But that's a heck of a run if you follow, you know, kind of kickboxing. He's on a good run, so credit to Superbon. Uh, uh, Yeah, Edward Foleyang defeated John Wayne Parr. This was a Muay Thai rules fight. Uh, Parr's a legend, man. If you've not... If you didn't follow that guy... I mean, he's 45 years old. He's still out there fighting. If you didn't follow him... Or weren't aware of him when he was bit... When he was, you know... Tearing things up in, like, the early 10s and whatnot. That dude was just... I mean, he's been fighting since... When did he debut? Like, 97? Ish? You know, trying to get get records out of some of the, you know... Thai... uh, some of your Thai, some of the Muay Thai records are not always most the most assiduously kept. So, but yeah, Par's a legend, man, and he lost this. He lost this fairly, but he. Uh, it, yeah, shout out to him for just you know still being out there, still being awesome. Uh, Yoshihiro Akiyama defeated Shinya Aoki. <laughs> <It> was funny. <laughs> um. It's always nice to be, to you know, occasionally have it to be reminded of what a horrible cheater uh, Yoshiro Akiyama was in Pride. His. What was his fight with Sakuraba? Where just. He was just greasing himself up before the fight, or just slathering himself with lotion so that uh, the other guy couldn't get. so that Sakuraba couldn't get a hold of him and keep it. But, you know, if you brand yourself. This saw all on Twitter. I forget who said this, but it, it amused me. If you brand yourself a sexy and a cheater, then eventually they're only going to remember that you're sexy. <laughs> um, I mean, I, and I'm never going to shed tears over Shinya Aoki getting abused. So, uh, Adriano Morais defeating Yuyu Yu Wakamatsu via Guillotine Choke in the third round. Little bit of some, com- uh, some shady reffing here. Wakamatsu was doing well, and then the ref just got on him for fighting smart, basically. So he tried a double leg on a guy he should never have tried a double leg on, and Morais guillotined him right away. Uh, yeah, not not a fan of the uh, of the refereeing there. But Adriano Moraes is really good. Uh, I mean, he had that knockout over Demetrius Johnson last year. It Was a some nice use of knees. And he's got a very, and he's 20 and three overall. He's certainly no one to trifle with. Speaking of Demetrius Johnson, he defeated Rod Tang in a mixed rules fight. This was one round of Muay Thai followed by a round of MMA, and I forget, I, think, I can't remember if they were alternating for the four rounds or if it was Muay Thai, MMA, MMA, Muay Thai. I forget. Exactly. I mean, one does whatever they want. Um first round again the Muay Thai segment clearly to Rod Tang. Some people have overblown how well uh Demetrius Johnson did in that portion. I'm going to say it like this. And so, uh I'm I'm going to echo it's uh Grabaka Hitman because I think he said it best. We've seen dedicated Muay Thai fighters do worse under Muay Thai rules against Rod Tang than DJ did. And DJ still clearly lost that round. But it does deserve to be noted. You know, Johnson lost that round, but did not do, in in some cases did better than people who are strict Muay Thai fighters who have fought Rod Tang, because Rod Tang's a tank. Second round, Demetrius Johnson just very quickly takes him down, Works from there. I mean, he ultimately gets the back and chokes him out. And, you know, what? Ha- it's what happens when you do these kind of things. Unless you're fighting Shinya Aoki. <laughs> I'm never not going to be amused by that. Um, who was the guy he fought? I want to make sure I get his name right because I'm. If if you didn't see this, it was hilarious. Uh, he took he competed in a mixed rules fight. Oh, what was that guy's name? Uh, Oh, yeah. um, Yuichiro Nagashima. <laughs> Special rules in 2010. First round, kickboxing, because that's what uh, Nagashima's known for. And Aoki just acted like a complete jackass. Throwing drop kicks... Because any time they hit the ground, the ref stops and stands them up because we're under kickboxing rules. So, drop kick, rolling thunder, just all this stupid stuff to stall the clock. Second round starts, he shoots for a double leg, gets kneed in the head and knocked out. It was the funniest thing ever. Um, So, again, unless you're Aoki in these kind of mixed rules matches, they tend to go this way. And the idiots... The number of people who came out of this and well, this is what would happen if Rod Tang ever got in a real fight. Like, buddy, you want to walk up to that guy on the street and try your chances? You go for it. That is your funeral. Rod Tang is a beast. Uh, Johnson is kind of in the winding down his career phase a little bit, I think. I mean, who could blame the guy? I mean, he's 35. He's not the oldest, but he's been fighting for a while. When did he debut? I mean, he had that long run in the UFC, which will grind anyone down anyway. But his professional career started in 2007. Uh, He's... So, wouldn't shock me if he's starting to wind things down. Uh, Just throwing it out there. I I mean, I'm certainly not advocating for it or anything, but... It does seem a little bit like that's kind of the point in his career that he's at. So. But you know, nice to see him get a win, and I I like DJ. Uh, your main event for this, Angela Lee defeated uh, Stomp Fairtex. I want to give Angela Lee credit here. Look, she gets memed a lot because... Because one goes out of their way to make sure that she wins. <laughs> You know, they do stuff with scoring or they'll have you know, we had the champion you know, the the executive committee reviewed or whatnot, like there's there's a lot of crap like that. Um, but here she came back after a really long layoff. Uh I mean she I think she was she had she had a kid, right? Yeah, after her pregnancy leave. Her last fight was in 2019. Uh, and she overcame... She kind of got smoked in the first round. like She got hurt with body shots and stomp. And attacks was all over her. Credit to her. She gutted through it. Uh, forced things to the ground. Got the choke in the third... Or second, rather. Excuse me. So, for all the jokes about, you know, Andrea Lee and whatnot and... And Christian Lee is the other one that, one, just kind of bends over backwards to try and uh, keep these people on top for the sake of their more home base audience. Uh, She gutted through some tough parts of this fight and absolutely earned that win. So, want to give her a shout-out there. Uh, I think that was it. As far as other... Anything else I wanted to talk about? I mean, we had Burchelt stop. His fight was stopped between rounds, but... yeah. I, I don't think you guys want to hear me go too deep into smaller, into boxing events that you're probably, you're probably not all that uh, concerned with. All right. Uh, The rest of this should be fairly quick. So let's talk the law, I suppose. First up, this happened uh, Monday, not too long after we got, uh, very shortly after I got done recording. So allegedly, I'm going to stress allegedly, now one of these people has been arrested and charged, so I'm gonna, I'm only going to leave it at that because everything else is still alleged. Allegedly, Jorge Masvidal and uh, I think a couple of other people uh, jumped Colby Covington at a steakhouse in Miami. Um, <laughs> uh, Covington is cooperating with the police and pressing charges. He had a tooth that was broken or chipped, uh, and some damage to uh, a, a watch he was wearing. Uh, so and yeah, Mosfidel has at this point been—he's uh, been arrested, he's been charged. And I think he's out on bail at the moment. Um, now again, this has this still needs to be proven in a court. Mosfidel has pled not guilty. Uh, happy to let the legal system do its thing i yeah oh, man i I don't can't say I don't get this because that wouldn't quite be true, but to me, this is just horrible um, decision making on the part of assuming Mosphodol is in fact the perpetrator so. Assuming that, and I have no evidence, so be clear about that. I have no evidence. I have no knowledge. I know what everyone else knows based on what I've read and seen. I mean, you, Mosfidel started fighting in the backyards of Miami. You, I assume some of you at least remember this, like when Kimbo Slice was kind of coming up and you're know, doing the the videos put out on YouTube of backyard street fights and whatnot. Mosvidal was one of those guys. You can find those fights still, believe it or not. Uh, And You go from that to an exceptional year a couple of years ago to making a lot of money. Not as much as you should because no one in the UFC does. But he makes a lot of money. Certainly relative to me and i'm going to assume relative to you though i don't know your personal financial situation to potentially throw it all away i mean he's he's charged with felonies here like this could be serious i i i mean most cases plead out statistically speaking so decent enough chance this will at some point in the future but you went from Again, you main-evented a pay-per-view that did quite well. You've had two title shots. You've made your money. If the point of making that life-changing money isn't to change your life, why are you doing it? Why are you still doing these things? Why are you... And look, I'm not asking anybody out there to feel bad for Colby Covington. But... I don't really care what you say you, you with very few exceptions here in the United States you, that does not give someone legal recourse to hit you to jump you like that's again there's a very very few few circumstances wherein you know speech like that is not is considered something that will uh well you can justify attacking someone based purely on what they say. It's very rare, given the breadth of what people can say, especially again, especially here in the United States where we have freedom of speech. And I am again, I'm not asking you to feel bad for Covington, I'm not shedding any tears over the guy. But this this is one of those things that people don't understand the argument. People do the... Well, you know, if you can't punch... Let me be clear about something. I'm going to draw a... I'm going to draw a series of lines here. And... I just... I want you to understand that I am not acute When I mention... Unless I'm talking specifically about Colby Covington, I am not talking about Colby Covington. You get... You start with something that, you know... Is a bit... Is a bit like I saw this... This was years ago when uh, some, I think some neo-Nazi got attacked, or got into a verbal confrontation, and then got punched. And the sentiment on Twitter was, well, if you can't punch a Nazi, then, you know, who can you punch? And I, I just, I don't think people really understand what they're saying when they try to make this argument. I'm not sympathetic to the cause of ethno-nationalism, or white supremacy, or any of that. I, I fundamentally reject it. But I'm not in favor of living in a world where you can be attacked physically for saying things. And that's where we are here. Colby Covington said something that Jorge Masvidal didn't like and Masvidal then assaulted him at a restaurant. And look, I'm I'm not okay with that. If we want to talk purely pragmatically, yeah, Covington's been agitating for a while. Statistically speaking, this is kind of bound to happen. By the same token, I don't care if you walk through if you walk through the worst part of any city with your wallet out in your hand, waving it in the air, singing zippity doo da That does not mean it's okay for someone to mug you. And there's a fairly obvious next step to this that I'm not going to take because I'm not sure I can... uh I'm not sure I can say it. In the way that won't uh, rile people up. So I'm, I'm going to leave it at that example. It does not matter what you do, as long as what you do is legally protected. No one can do something illegal to you. It's not that complicated. And whenever you look at something like this, it's very easy to say, well, no, no one cares if you punch a neo-Nazi in the face. Their ideology is abhorrent, and it is. But it's it's not that hard to take that and then turn it. And this is the thing that people forget about any of these this is why the rules exist the rules don't exist to protect the the rules have to exist in a way that protects the people you dislike as much as the people you do like i've said things on podcasts that other people don't like i know it i've expressed dis. i've expressed displeasure at films that are widely beloved should i get punched in the face for that Is that uh, you might be saying, well, you know, it's not the same as. Look, Colby said something insulting about Dustin Poirier and Poirier's family. I find that in bad taste, bare minimum. I would never say that. But I'm also not in favor of extrajudicial ju- physical violence. That's all this is. I'm not asking you to feel bad for Colby Covington. Uh, again i'm i don't i am not shedding tears over the man i am not losing sleep over the fact that he got attacked but how do you want society to function do you want a society where people are free to exp- to say what they want or not and if not be very very careful about who you think is in is in control of what you get to say, because it's not you, and it never will be. So uh, we'll have to wait and let the legal system play out as far as that goes. Uh, stupid, stupid decisions from Jorge Masvidal if guilty. Just you're making a lot of money. This was just baffling. I mean, just baffling. Um, I've seen some people kind of posit the notion that the UFC might try to leverage this for a third fight between, for another fight between Covington and Masvidal, and to be candid, I don't see that happening. It's not that the UFC would never <laughs> use something like this to promote a fight. They have, and they will in the future. It's more that we've seen the fight. Who cares? I mean, I mean that in all sincerity. Oh, Masvidal jumped Covington at a restaurant. Okay, how's how's the how's that going to change how a fight goes if they they fought? We saw them fight for 25 minutes. We know how this goes. I I just I don't see it happening. I don't see this being. Some kind of ploy from Mosfidal to try and get another fight with Covington. I I just think it was a series of bad decisions spurred by emotions that one would like to hope he'd have put behind him. Again, all of this assuming that he is in fact the guilty party. Uh, Alright, also in the news, in the legal side of things, Conor McGregor was briefly arrested. And his car impounded for reckless driving in Ireland. There's a video of this you can find if you're so inclined because there was a fan kind of by McGregor around when it happened, so you can decide for yourself as far as that goes. I don't even really know what to say about McGregor at this point. Um, I I suppose I should say this. This does seem like the minor of the infractions he has been accused of, and in some cases is acknowledged guilt. This does seem like relatively minor, but still. It it, it just doesn't speak well to the overall career position that he's in. So, I don't know that anything else will come of that, but... Uh, something to potentially keep an eye on. Lastly, on the legal side of things, Chael Sonnen was involved in a altercation, a brawl, if you will, in a Vegas hotel in uh, December of last year. Apparently, all uh, the police, uh, the relevant authorities, have re-examined some of the evidence and whatnot and are have refiled charges against him. Uh... Some of which are pretty damning. Now, I don't know the truth of what happened. Uh, that's gonna have to—we have to wait and see what comes out, if anything. But you tend not to see this unless there's some significant evidence that goes along with it. So, so and again, some of what he's been charged with is uh, more on the felonious side of things. Have to wait and see what happens, but you've got three fairly high-profile people in the MMA space this last week, all dealing with pretty serious legal problems. Oh, I forget who I saw on Twitter make the joke, but, uh... You know, the UFC's about to be sponsored by Duracell, with all the battery charges. (laughs) Uh, Oof. Yeah. So that's where we are at the moment Again, I will try to keep people updated as more becomes available and whatnot All right, There is no UFC event this coming Saturday hence the lack of a preview I think they're staying out of the way of WrestleMania, but they are back in two weeks for UFC 273 uh, So that's why there's no preview uh, Let's check Twitter see if anything crazy is broken and if not we will do plugs and get out of here Nope. Uh, some of my feed is kind of taken up by bits of the Oscars which are going on and w- about which I could not possibly care less. Which I felt compelled to add just because it's going on and I occasionally talk movies. Which is why, uh, again, getting into plugs. So I was busy last week. Let me go over this very briefly. Uh, last Monday, I was part of a TV party alongside Mark over on the Radelich Broadcasting Network along with Mark Radlich and Ronnie Adams. We talked about The Legend of Vox Machina, the animated adaptation of part of Campaign 1 of the web series Critical Role. It's a live-action D&D play campaign. So we talked that. Tuesday, I talked both Dam- uh and Damien Hollywood. I talked Turning Red and Cheaper by the Dozen, the terrible, terrible remake, starring Zach Braff and Gabrielle Union. Uh, so if you want my thoughts on those movies, you can find them over there. Uh, Wednesday, I was part of a Metal Hammer of Doom, the review for Sabaton's latest re- uh, release, The War to End All Wars, fixated on uh, World War One and stories related to that. And Thursday was a TV party for Disenchantment, Part 4, the second half of the second season. Uh, myself, Mark, and David Wright got together, and we talked about that. Uh, pretty good discussion came out of that. We We all mostly enjoy that show, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was busy last week. This week, uh, there'll be a Damn You Hollywood on Tuesday. That's a du- another double shot. Deep Water and Windfall. Uh, those are streaming on Hulu and Netflix, respectively. And I think that's my only other podcast, so I've also got my usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. MLW's Stuff on Thursday. WWE SmackDown on Friday. And this Saturday... Uh, at noon Eastern, I will be covering NXT Stand and Deliver, which is an event to try and lead into day one of WrestleMania in the evening. So there's that. Uh, yeah, that is it. That's what I've got coming up this week. So again, if you're interested in my other podcasts, over on the and Broadcasting Network uh, subgroup of the W2M Network, you can find a lot of my other stuff over there. No MMA this Saturday, so enjoy the week off. We will be back here next week to preview UFC 273. Boy, that's a big one, isn't it? Uh, you've got Volkanovski and Chan Sung Jung for the featherweight title, the rematch of bantamweight between uh, Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan. Gilbert Burns and Hamzat Shemaev. A pretty good middleweight fight on that card, actually, as well. Kelvin Gastelum and Nasruddin Imovov. That's a big fight for Imovov. So that's, uh, we'll have a full preview of that next week, and I am looking forward to it. So I hope you will be back here as well. Until next time, I thank you very, very much for your continued support and your patronage. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.